Let me take care of the little Peterson, and then I'll whoa, take care. Whoa, whoa, that's too much information. Steven <laughs> says that's too much information. <laughs> Shut up, Steven. <laughs> <laughs> the Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. Featuring in this issue, beauties and beasties and big bad wolves, faceless fellows furiously fighting, someone's son seems superhuman, plus kidnappings, outings, and crime, oh my! Half-sister Christian, oh the time has come. Comfortable services for your pet rodent. Scar is coming. Plus, lobster sticks to magnets! (laughs) You don't drink, you don't smoke, what do you do? Subtle innuendo follows, there must be something inside, so settle in, grab a frosty beverage to wash down your hamburger, the cornerstone of every nutritious breakfast. Get ready for the good, the bald, and the wonderful personality. We're going to totally blow your mind, dude! The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to another exciting issue of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Man, we got a lot of things going on this week. Yeah, we're we just all over the place. Later in the show, we've got the Gotham Central uh, story review. review. We're going to look at that as our first trade, Volume 1, Day Shift and Night Shift. Uh, We've also got some individual reviews, plus our ever-famous Major Spoilers Poll of the Week coming up real soon, coming up just around the corner. But first... But first, we've got some news to cover, and as we've been doing lately, and I know it infuriates some of you and others, I think you probably could care less, but we pick <laughs> three at random stories from the Majorspoilers.com website. We roll the Wheel of Destiny to see the which one it lands on, turn, turn, turn. and then we talk about it. So this week, our three random stories for this past week is Scar, Scar is, coming. is Coming, and he forgot his tissue, uh, Thoughts on American Sun. Mm-hmm. Or we pick a movie. What does it say? It says movie, movie, pick a movie. That's what it's called. Right. So let's you roll. You pays the dollar, you takes your chances, you spins the wheel and wins your girl a Cupid doll. And spin it somebody. Rodrigo, spin the wheel of morality. <gasps> <laughs> Good spinning there, Rodrigo. Unfortunately, <laughs> it landed on number one. Scar number one. is coming. Scar. And you know what most of the readers on the website are saying at Majorspoilers.com? Um, things I don't that care. we can't repeat in a, a child-friendly yeah. podcast. I don't I'm care, here. is what they say. Who? First of all, Matthew, we've been introduced to Scar before, right? This was during Planet Hulk. Mm-hmm. Hulk, was, Hulk was ejected out into outer space by the, uh, the brilliant minds of, of, uh, of Marvel. That would be Reed Richards and Namor and Professor X and some other guys. Right. And he landed on this planet... And he, the planet was called Sakar, not to be confused ah, with Scar. And not to be confused with the Suxor. <laughs> Suxor is just entirely different. That's, that's its moon. <laughs> so there he bedded a woman. Yes, I believe her name was um, something else. And apparently... It had an eye in it. It was like Suspiria or something. And But sired a child all before the planet blew up, which caused Hulk to come back to Earth and, and say he was going to kill everybody. Well, point of order. Okay, please, because I'm not very clear she, on that. 
okay. Well, I I do remember the Hulk's Warbound. The little gray-skinned girl with the tribal tattoos on her face looked like Bam Bam Bigelow. Right. That was the daughter of his woman. Um, the, so it's like he, a stepdaughter. Stepdaughter or real daughter? The actual daughter. She she was the the daughter of the queen, and I believe the queen's name was like Pleiades or Antigone or something like that. But in any case, what Kyera? Okay, Kyera was her name. Okay, Kyera was pregnant when Sakar blew up. Pregnant with the Hulk's child. Pregnant with the Hulk's child. Ah, uh-huh. okay. The Hulk was basically he had gone from being rebel. You know, he he was in the he was in the trenches. He was basically Spartacus, and then he became the Sparta new leader. Hulk. And he, I am you know, Spartacus. I am me Spartacus. Me Spartacus smash. Hulk Spartacus. <laughs> but in any case, the Hulk. No, I am Hulk Spartacus. <laughs> no, no, I am Hulk Spartacus. <laughs> no, it is I who is the Hulk Spartacus. No, I am my good Hulk man. Spartacus. Anyway, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the main discussion, the, <laughs> the Hulk, I'm not sure you're familiar with the Hulk. Hulk smash. Bruce Banner, big green guy, looks remarkably like uh, Stephen's mom, actually. Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 oh classic. <laughs> but in any case, at the end of World War okay, Hulk, clean up your room, well, of course, Hulk comes home. He's rar, 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 rar. He's angrier than he's ever been because his wife and his unborn son died right. in the bloody blue, and they blew up his planet in the Glaven. At the end of World War Hulk number five, they cut back to outer space where we see Scar break out of like the ground or something, a cocoon or something. Kyra was like blowed up real good. She was like atomized on panel, but somehow her, the child survived. And being a mutate of like she was magical, and the Hulk was Hulkical, so <laughs> together they were Hulkagical. And that is that is Scar. Of course, he inherited an axe that I believe he got from Keith Richards after the. <laughs> now let me. Now, but let me ask you this though, Matthew. This is the point that I'm a little confused in, and maybe it's being teased in some of these Im- images that we've gotten. Planet's destroyed. It's just rubble, right? Mm-hmm. So where does Scar? Where does he crack out of, and where does he get his massive battle axe that he is going to rock the universe with? Sort of. I'm not entirely sure that Sakar was blowed up. Oh, okay. It. I mean. Kyra was 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 destroyed. She was like blowed up. But basically, the ship that the Illuminati used to throw him out into space was made of Tony Stark technology, oh, and Tony as Stark. such, when will you learn? You know, it went horribly awry. I don't know if you know this, but for the past five years, Iron Man has been nothing but a massive tool. Hmm. In any case, so Scar, Scar may or may is, not have survived. So he's he's been birthed, but we haven't seen him before. All we see is him cracking out of the ground and picking up his mighty axe. Well, he's had his own book for like eight months. Oh, well. So why is he finally coming? No, that'll tell you why, you know, how knowledgeable I am of this series. Has he been to Earth or has he just been having some adventures in space? Or? I think I think the that's where he's coming it, to. I have not read the Scar. Scar. But there is an actual book called Scar. Son of, Son Hulk. of Hulk. Right. Where he's basically uh, Conan the Barbarian. Times a million in space or something. I am Scarticus. Right. 
So yeah. So now he's coming to Earth to uh, beat the crap out of his dad, or what? We don't know. That's the thing. Do people care? They don't know. Rodrigo, do you care about Scar and and whether he is arriving? Not really. Scar is. I think the the companies have gotten a little better about uh, masking the fact that to this day they are just making Supergirl, Superdog, and Supercat. Um, and, and Scar is, you know, Supergirl. I see. Actually, my friend Tom Grice, who is wrong, sir, wrong, (laughs) had a very good theory regarding a similar character, Doc Ken, when he appeared in Wolverine. I don't know if you guys ever played GURPS. Yep. Back in the day, GURPS had powerful, powerful, powerfulness. And there came to a point where they would do these damage and your character would do super damage or something. And then at one point, somebody said, okay, wait, 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 wait. We're going to make it one better. We're going to do mega damage. Mega damage. Mega damage. Yeah. Mega damage was basically a creature or a weapon that could do like exponential damage. And he always said that Daken was mega damage Wolverine. And Scar is essentially mega damage Hulk. It's Hulk Ah. without any human restraint Ah. with cool tattoos and a big weapon. And I think it's supposed to... It's supposed to appeal to the younger set who wants to see people hacked to bits by giant green guys. Possibly theory. I don't know. So supposedly Scar is coming now to Earth to track down dear old dad. There's a good possibility, I think. Now, I don't want to go out on a limb here. Because it'll break. There there may be a fist fight. (laughs) There's there's a possibility of of, of battle. So I'm wondering then... Is this Scar, Planet Scar, when he arrives on Earth? Is this going? Is this kind of the follow up to what Planet Planet Hulk was building to? But the whole Civil War, uh, Secret Invasion, Dark Reign, kind of got in the way. This is their next big event. Then you're thinking. I am not thinking that. Okay, what are you thinking? I'm thinking I don't care. All right, I also am <laughs> in agreement with that. I don't care, but obviously somebody might. So that is why we decided to spend 10 minutes talking about it. Hooray! Again, I, I mean, I'm not going to say that anybody who would care about Scar is wrong, because obviously everybody has their characters. If you've been reading Scar, and if you have a full background in Planet Hulk, I'm sure that the story is going to progress nicely for you. But having only read Planet Hulk in passing, and then read World War Hulk, and had it roll off the end of the pier so long ago... Yeah, yeah that's I mean, the that problem. was like last summer, and... The Marvel Universe has changed forever five times. Again. You know, since breakfast. I don't even remember what Planet Hulk was about. Yeah. Well, I, I, people are saying, well, I don't care about Scar. I don't care about Scar. Why are you posting these things? Number one, I don't mind promoting any company that sends stuff to us. Oh, yeah. And number two, you know, these promo campaigns that Marvel rolls out are just so, uh, great on so many levels both yeah. on the funny level both on how far can we push this level both on the you know let's run it into the ground level you know they did that with the uh, who can you trust right. campaign which i thought was great a lot of people hated that and so I'm, we're seeing the same thing happening with uh with scar is coming so that's why i'm running them up on the site but you know if that bit of news doesn't interest you we have plenty of other news stories right. up on the majorspoilers.com website Please check it out at your earliest inconvenience. If if I may retort. Yes, you may, please. In recent weeks, yes. there has been much discussion of who we do and don't favor. Oh, really? And there was discussion of who we favor. Now, 
It's irrelevant. What it's may or may not It's obvious that we favor yeah. Boom Studios. Uh, Is that it? Because well, that's and, who we write the most now, about. But but Is I it? mean, there was there no. there was a question, and it said, "Dude, dude, you're not favoring this company over here, which I love that rhymes with Carvel." Yes. So now we do, and then we have people going, "Dude, dude, we don't care what happened to that other stuff from that <laughs> other company that rhymes with BC." Yeah. So it's a situation where we're darned if we do, we're darned if we don't. So I'm just going to write whatever the hell I feel well, like. Well, and that's what we've been doing all along. So well, that's true. It's but, been you know, working I, so sometimes far. Sometimes I like to make a point. We love you, Major Spoilerites. Please love yes. us back. Yes, we've got a Bias comment. Cheese. We've got some comments or one comment at the end of the show from one of the Spoilerites uh, commenting on one of our things from an episode's past. Uh, before we get out of this news section, if you would like to help support the Major Spoilers cause, and you will. <laughs> Uh, take a click over there in the right column of the website and click on the Major Spoilers merchandise store where you can get your very own F-Continuity t-shirt in a variety of sizes. You can get them for men or women, or you can get the ever-beautiful little cute Major Spoilers hero character for the kitties and add it into the... (laughs) And it's so cute. I I know my kid has one. I know Matthew's kid has one. Uh, I know Matthew's upset that it doesn't come in a 3X. Well, we could do that if people are really interested. Just let us know at, at uh, podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I also just added in for S&Gs the Major Spoilers mouse pad up to the site, which just is essentially the Major Spoilers logo at this time. Uh, for SMG? Sarah uh, Michelle Geller yes, is coming? S and Gs as we try to keep this family friendly this week, which we won't. No, we won't. But it'll be fun to see how far we get. Yes. So go check that out. Help us out. We get a little bit of that money from each of those sales. And uh, we really appreciate everything that everybody does to help Major Spoilers along. Okay. Ah. Hmm. Ah. Feel refreshed now. Mm. Maybe. Take a little drink of this stuff over here. This magic black elixir that I've been drinking. The black elixir. Hmm. Does it have a tan top to it? Because um, that may not be elixir. <laughs> Let's do some That's reviews, shall we? Reviews! Boing, boing. Somebody was asking about what it was all those crazy things at the end of uh, last week's episode. <laughs> That's what happens when I drink too much of this black elixir at 2 o'clock <laughs> in the morning trying to edit the show together. So... No, they don't realize that we're actually all generated by an AI, just random comments. (laughs) It's just fired off. It's been working so far. Slagathor. Let's get to some reviews and let's go back. Reference to 73 broken. Rewrite link. (laughs) Let's go back a couple weeks, shall we, Rodrigo, to Runaway. Somebody's complaining we don't do enough Marvel uh, titles, so why don't we... uh... (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you tell us what's going on in the world of The Runaways? Is this this Volume 2 or Volume 3 that we're on? Uh, this is Volume 3, I think. Okay. Um, volume 1 was the original Brian K. Vaughn. Volume 2 was the Joss Whedon. And now this is by Terry Moore. Ter- Terry Moore and uh, oh, Humberto yeah. Ramos. Humberto Ramos, one Actually, of my favorite artists. this one was uh, penciled by Takeshi Miyazawa. Oh. Who? Who is, you know, pretty good. Uh, let's just say Manga. It is manga esque. That's what I can see from here. Manga. It is. It is manga esque. I'll give you that. So, what um, happens in Runaways number seven? Okay, the uh, Runaways number seven is the first issue of an arc 
called Rock Zombies. Awesome. Um, where apparently, and you know, in the, in the first issue, they basically explain what's what's what the big deal is. Some uh, mystical bad guys are essentially using rock music to turn people into zombies, or they are getting ready to do that. Tipper was right. Tipper um, was right. The uh, the 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 big deal with it is that um the the there's a there's a guy who's basically paying to have this done and then he has his like magical consultant and he's like okay well I want to turn a bunch of people into zombies and the guy's like well in order to key to kind of key a spell to a lot of people they we'd have to key it to a deficiency and they all have to have the same deficiency the oh, same okay. kind of flaw yeah 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 and and the flaw has to be physical and right. then they they sit around and brainstorm for a little bit and it's like how many people in L A do you think have had plastic surgery. Uh-huh. So they basically work out some kind of spell that when you listen to this rock song, if you've had plastic surgery, you're turning to a you turn into a spiky zombie. Awesome. So um, that just the sounds runaways, like so many different levels of awesome. The Runaways are not involved in it yet, except that um, they kind of foil a robbery, I believe, at this record at the same record label. So they're not like brain eating zombies. Um, we actually, don't know yet. At the very end like of the zombies. issue, we see that yes, it's a it, they're voodoo zombies, and um, we uh, possibly hoodoo zombies. Oh, and no. um, at the end of the issue, we see the the very first one, so we don't know what its capabilities are or anything like that. Well, the reason I ask is because some people might be thinking, "Oh, here we go, Marvel zombies all over again," but they're right. now this is not based that. In on fact, rock. The uh, the and then there's hoodoo zombies, the ones that you transfix with a spell. Right. The uh, the the initial conversation is is basically the the guy saying like, all right, I don't want uh, what is it? I I don't want Romero zombies. I want Robert Rodriguez zombies, basically. <laughs> um, which is fun. Of course, there's a lot of topical references in it, being the Runaways. Um, I have a huge soft spot for the original volumes yes. of the Runaways. So volume one. No, yes. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> It seems to, the name. The no, first one. That's the if one. the first one were volume two, it'd make it confusing. <laughs> it all it would, but I wouldn't put it past the Marvel or DC <laughs> to start at volume two. They're they're trying all kinds of stuff nowadays. <laughs> We're um, gonna renumber this book. It goes one two seven. No, it goes one two forty nine six hundred. Yes. Um. So pretty much everything that they come out with Runaways is to me seems like either crap or not good enough. But this. This seems like it could be good enough. It doesn't have that same kind of bittersweetness that uh, that the original books have, but it is the first this crap of the is arc. almost good enough. It's, so that, there's no that's uh, how I feel about it. There's no red rice zombies from Kansas attacking. There are people. there is no human rice syndrome <laughs> or whatever the hell that was. Called. Now what do you what do you think of the right uh, the art? Not the rice. What do you think of the art? The art is okay. I don't have a problem with it. Um, Can he draw rice? Um, I don't think there's any rice in it, but there are some plants, and the plants look uh, decent. Well, now you know we've become accustomed to Nico being drawn a certain way, and mm-hmm. and Henrietta, and all these other people and characters being drawn a certain way. Is it shocking to see him drawn in this uh, manga manga style? Not really, because after after Umberto Ramos touches a comic book, oh, and please. then people, uh, you know, when people rega- regain their rightful proportions, um, <laughs> it's, have to go you know, that I mean, it's, it's basically phase. such a huge reset because his style is so stylized, right? right. Um, so <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, if I held this up against the original, and even the, I, I would say this art is more similar to the original than it has been. In a while. Well, I just saw that one close-up, and that's what struck me was... Yeah. I mean, the girls the girls look like they come out of anime. The guy's a little bit less so. Yeah. 
Um, but the girls are the reason to read Runaways. Exactly. They kind of are. The one thing that I've always liked about Runaways is that it's a like a female dominant team. I mean, there's more girls than guys on the team, which is kind right. of a rarity in right. comics. It, yeah. Unless you're an X Man. Uh, even then, I mean, there are a lot of X Men females, but they rarely ever have prominent roles. I mean, usually in a team you'll have Storm and Jean Grey, or like Cyclops or Psylocke and Storm, and not really, you know. Yeah. Not really have that many girls on the team at once. Right. So when we're looking at meatloaf ratings here. Um, I would put it at a uh at a hesitant three slices of meatloaf. Major spoilers, home of the meatloaf slice rating. Yes. Three we're slices. We're not proud of, of it, but we're going with it. All right. <laughs> it's been working so far. <laughs> no major complaints. No one has died <laughs> yet. As with my grandmother's meatloaf, we'll keep using it until something has a fatality. <laughs> so that was a couple of weeks ago. Thanks, Rodrigo, for that. This week, uh, last week, whenever you're listening to this, uh, came out Fables say issue it. number you know 83. You know you say it. Say it. Hello, future Say it, people. Hello, future people. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's when people's supposed to drink. Everybody's uh-huh. waiting for that one that's phrase, right. and then everybody erupts in applause and cheers and starts chugging uh, uh, well, black elixirs with with cream colored tops i'm telling you that's your that's the equivalent of your how's it going mr peterson <laughs> right there <laughs> hello future people <laughs> oh god i'm not gonna make it to this podcast go, yeah. look, 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 look. <laughs> fables number 83 uh i know a lot of people are not liking what's been going on with fables and with jack of tales and uh some of these others but jack of tales jack of <laughs> jack of fables <laughs> um but <laughs> But Willingham, Buckingham, Sturgis, and uh, some other people have all gathered <laughs> together. I'm Didn't sorry. They sing "Summer Breeze" back in 1979. Summer breeze makes me feel fine. Billingham, Cunningham, <laughs> Willingham, Cunningham, Buckingham. Yeah, Bill Willingham and Matthew Sturgis are writing this huge, epic, nine-part crossover that crosses between Fables, Jack of Fables, and the new. Um, Tales of the, what are they called? Literates. The literals. Tales of the literates. Yeah, Tales of the literates. And it's it's almost a three-pronged attack of what's going on. First of all, in the end of Fables, we had that man that was trapped in the black box come out, and he's come to New York and destroyed Fableton, causing everybody to seek refuge up at the farm. And, of course, then there is the whole thing with, um, what's his name, Revision, Revise? With what he's doing over in Jack of Fables, trying to eliminate or write out the characters from uh, history mm-hmm. or from everyone's right. memory. And then you have this whole religious front starting to form around uh, Boy Blue, who, uh, who was killed, who died uh, from the attack of, uh, of the Fable Town with uh, Geppetto. And when did Blue die? Uh, like two or three issues ago. He was shot with a poisoned arrow, and apparently his cloak was supposed to protect him. But this was some kind of a magical piece of wood arrow that got lodged in him and just caused him to waste away to nothing. And it was fairly sad. Rose Red was quite upset. She's been in bed and won't get out of bed for any of the services. She won't do her duties up at the farm. Uh, You've got uh, the Beast and um, trying to run things because he's the new sheriff. But then, of course, Bigby Wolf gets there and there's a big old pissing match between these two. It's not really pissing, but it's more like fighting and bloody in the Flavin. And um, and it's decided that Bigby and the Beast are both being influenced by 
the evil forces way down in Fabletown. And so Bigby says he's going to go off into the world, but instead they're going to send him off on a secret mission to do something, to go find out what's going on. And Jack, meanwhile, Jack uh, of the Tales, Jack of the Beanstalk, Jack Horner, mm-hmm. Jack of Jack Frost, all of those guys, makes a phone call and talks to Snow White and says, hey, uh, there's something else you guys might be wanting to be uh, aware of, and it's a pretty big deal. And so now we're going to see Jack come back into the Fables story proper through mm-hmm. one of these crossovers. Nine parts. Uh, this first issue just kind of set it up and t- kind of gives you the uh, signpost of or guidepost of what's coming up. And it's not bad. Okay, it's it's classic Willingham, classic uh, Sturgis uh, writing throughout the piece. Although I think when Matthew Sturgis was on the uh, show, he did say that he's not writing the entire thing. You know, he's not. He only writes a little bit here and there. And my guess is in this issue, he wrote the uh, backup tale that appears in the piece. Hmm. Um, or the semi-backup tale. Uh, but, you know, the writing's good. Good stuff. The art is good. Good stuff. Of course, we're missing the classic covers. Uh, I, I certainly certainly miss those. But this one's worth three slices of meatloaf, to be sure. Cool. If you're a big Fables fan... I don't know why you're not picking this up. If you're not a Fables person, you probably are not going to want to pick it up at this issue because there are so many things going on. It's like being dropped into the last season of The Young and the Restless or something. Hmm. So Good that is season. Fables. The Great Fables Crossover is what it's called. Part one. Mm. So there you go. Mm, yeah. So, um, so right now we're at a cumulative six slices of meatloaf. Yes, which, boy, I'm full. Thank God I'm wearing my fat guy suit. <laughs> or as we like to call it, your suit. <laughs> <laughs> I myself actually, uh, paradoxically, am not reviewing an issue that's a week or two old. I'm actually reviewing an issue that comes out tonight, presuming that you're listening in real time. And if you're not, then it came out several weeks ago. And in any case, it did come out. And Say there it. it is. Say it. It's not my catchphrase. Oh, hello, well, one of the things people. that I will be reviewing it's been working this week. So one of the things. Oh, Matthew Spitalik. Dynamo 5, number 21 What's from Rodrigo's? Image Comics. What is Rodrigo's catchphrase? My catchphrase um, is, um, guys, I don't want to be involved in this discussion. <laughs> Either that or, and I liked it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I hated it. So you're reviewing Dynamo 5, number 21 from Image Comics. Interesting. I think Rodrigo's catchphrase has to have the word trope in it. Yes. There you go. Or <laughs> my, my catchphrase is, I went to Northwestern, trope, trope, trope. <laughs> trope, 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 Or troop if you don't know how to spell right. Well, you don't. But it's all right because <laughs> you have me and I read through the site and secretly edit things when you're not yeah, looking. Yeah, right. Dynamo 5 number 21 comes out on the 22nd, if I'm not mistaken, of April, whenever that is in your personal timeline. Um The last 20 issues of Dynamo 5 have gone through a lot. There was a long arc, five or six issues, during which the Dynamo 5 kids broke up. And a new Dynamo 5 was formed to take care of Tower City. At the end of that story, which I believe that arc ended last, either last month or in the Dynamo 5 annual weeks ago, the group has been reformed. The five children of Captain Dynamo are back together as a team. This issue opens as it has to with something new where we see kids in a park playing 
running, whatever kids do in a park, when suddenly a group of psychos run up, screaming at the top of their lungs, and start destroying a cash machine. And they're very strong, and they're making superhuman leaps and ripping things apart with their bare hands and doing things that people shouldn't be able to do. One of them punches out a horse. Whoa. And not since Mongo <laughs> say, is a horse punch had so much resonance. Mongo won candy. At that point in time, the Dynamo 5 arrives... Led by Scrap, of course, who strangely became the new leader because, well, she's the hottest. And there's a slingshot and scatterbrain and myriad and the visionary. And, of course, the five siblings go in and they crack people together and they start cracking skulls and they pick one guy up, hit another guy with him, which I thought was very novel. Basically break the whole thing up and they find out that there's a new drug in town and this drug causes essentially superhuman powers, paranoia, and the ability to run rampant. So it's kind of like steroids and kind of like Meth. a lot of other designer drugs that I've seen in a lot of other superhuman-type media. So I'm, I, I'm leery of this, but I can work with it because they immediately cut to one of the most charming things that Dynamo 5 has ever done. Visionary Hector, the youngest member of the team, is going on a date with the younger Firebird, who was a member of the interim Dynamo 5 team. Wait, aren't they, like, all related to one another because they have the same father? Firebird no, is no. not related. Oh, okay. Phew. Firebird was one of the characters that Scrap recruited when her her brothers and sisters refused to go and be the oh, team anymore yeah. because not something happened. Not a good commando but name. But Firebird and her mom, the elder Firebird, actually worked together. So they go on this really cute date together, and they go to a movie. At the same time, Scrap, the leader, the strong girl, goes on an internet date. Mm-hmm. And she says one of the funniest things that I've, I've heard in a long time, and I can totally relate to this. She's talking about the emails that she got from the dating site and how she knew they weren't right for her because their sentence structure and grammar were atrocious. This is one of the reasons why I actually hate the internet, by the way, but that's neither here nor there. Mm. In the middle of both dates, crazy people show up, hopped up on the goofballs, and start ripping things apart. Um, Scrap starts to save the day, but her new boyfriend clocks one of them in the face with a gumball machine. At the same time, Firebird and Visionary find that they don't have anything to do on a normal date, so they go put on their costumes and blow things up in the Dynamo 5 danger room. And have the greatest date they've ever had, which I think is also very now cute. Now her date was also, the, the cyber date is also a superhero? The cyber date is Scrap, oh. meeting someone she met online. Oh. The regular date is Visionary, one of the Dynamo 5 dating Firebird, uh -huh. who's a chick. All right. They have a nice moment and they kiss, blah, oh. blah, blah. We get to the end of the issue and we find out, of course, that it can't be that easy. Scrap's date is a writer who's come to Tower City to find out all there is about Dynamo 5, to write an expose and make them all look bad and front out them in front of the media. And, of course, that kind of ruins her day because it was a good date. There's some subplot about the drugs where it turns out that one of the Dynamo 5 may be taking the superhero enhancement drug. No. And Maddie Warner, their leader, may be involved with a new supervillain who has nine brains. Looks like he's been drawn by Eric Larson. Oh, no. But the... The really good part of the issue is the date, or both dates, actually. Um, one of them is relatively awkward, the way you'd expect an actual date to be if you've ever been on a date with me. And the <laughs> and other one is really sweet has a terrible ending. So, I mean, it, the, the point of Dynamo 5 to me has always been the interaction. It's not necessarily about the fighty-fighty and the costumes and the capes and the glaven. It's about these characters interacting. Which I think is, you know, 
the strength and the weakness in that sometimes people don't get that or don't stick around long enough to do it. I would have to give this issue probably four and a half slices of meatloaf. It's very well done. It's one of my favorite books. The art is by a man named Mahmoud Azrar, who I believe is Turkish, who does just the most awesome stuff with facial expressions. Yeah. Has the, the book has two female characters in it. The two female characters wearing skin-tight costumes have completely different bone structures and bodies. Yeah. The uh, Maddie Warner, who is a former agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. or FLAG or whatever the, you know, agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. covers it. That's her job description. Mm-hmm. It's not called S.H.I.E.L.D., but that gives you what you need to know. She's a woman of roughly 45, 50. She looks like a woman of 45 or 50, but she looks like an attractive character. Nice. So it's not that standard, let's put a bunch of lines on a young person's face and make her look hideous. That seems to be a shortcut to drawing age. And Jay Farber really has an ear for dialogue and character interaction. So I think that this is one that everybody should pick up and read. If you're a superhero fan, it's got stuff for you. If you're not a superhero fan, it's kind of just a family story. And, you know, ignore the funny costumes. And if you don't like comic books at all, why the hell are you listening to me right now? Because everybody loves listening. Four and a half. Awesome. Everybody loves listening to the show. Do they? Everybody. Do they really? All 10,000 of them. 10,000 people, folks. We love each and every one of you in different, wholly inappropriate ways. <laughs> speaking of which, if you've been Things listening... are wholly okay. inappropriate? <laughs> yeah, speaking of wholly inappropriate and 10,000, after the reviews, you know what this means. You know what happens. You know what comes now. Besides my terrible Shatner impersonation, it's time. Ladles and jelly spoons. Please. No wagering. Calm yourself, Set, Sit quietly in your chair and return the stewardess to her original upright position. It's time Here it comes. for the major spoilers. Everybody with us. Hold of the week. week, 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 week. <laughs> Peas. Pole. And carrots. This week we return to an old pole theme. I think we've been doing this, what? Every fourth or fifth yeah, it seems, poll? Yeah, it seems to be that way. I lose track. It seems about every month or so I'm like, oh, yeah, we need to do that Watchmen thing. Yeah, the whole, the whole thing was that we were going to do the whole Watchmen crew before the Watchmen movie hit. But, you know, that's well, that never gone out the window. Hey, if it, it, look at it this way. At least, you know, George Perez is later than I am. There you go. There you go. So it's very important that we get back to this and finish because, you know, perish forbid, Peacemaker's helmet blows up. Um, <laughs> for those of you not in the know... Originally, when Alan Moore was putting together the pitch for The Watchmen and took it to D.C., it was not based on his own characters, but actually the characters purchased from Charlton Comics. Characters like the Blue Beetle, the Peacemaker, etc. And I believe we're almost done with the yeah, battles two of more. The Watchmen inspiration. Two more. D.C., of course, said, you can't do this to our big characters. Make up your own schmucks. And now you know the rest of the story. This week, the Battle of the Faceless Men. <coughs> and the thing that, 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 that is truly fascinating about this particular battle is that while one inspired the other, after the existence of the other, his inspiration actually seemed to come back and change the nature of the one. Hmm. Right. The Battle of the Faceless Men in Trilby Hats, of course, the original Victor Jage, Victor Sage, Drawn by the amazing Steve Ditko, the question, 
who had no face at all, taking on Rorschach, whose name escapes me, but who looked a little bit like a drunken Mickey Rooney with his Walter mask off. Kovac. Yes. Also had a very, very filthy hat. The question takes on Rorschach in a battle of who has the most outlandish conspiracy theory for you. Now, I am actually probably going to be not at all a surprise this week. I voted old school, as I almost always do, because to me, it's a question of existence preceding potentiality. You can't have the chicken without the egg, even if the egg wasn't laid by a chicken. I voted for the question. Hmm. I, you know, I went uh, with the question as well, mainly not because of the old school, but because of how he was reinterpreted as a very kick-ass character in the Justice League uh, Unlimited series, but also in how they were portraying him in 52 and in his death in, in 52 and in a lot of events leading up, up to that series. I just think he's a great character. I remember the first time I saw him was in the, probably the late 80s in that question series that came out then. And just thinking, mm-hmm. wow, this is pretty kick-ass. This guy goes around without a face. Man, those art duties got to be easy. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you get into the character, and it really makes sense of what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like the the paranoid twist that they gave him in, in Justice League Unlimited. You know, Rorschach is more, he appears, and again, going from the Watchmen comic book, he appears to be more berserker rage when he fights mm-hmm. not controlled methodical kung fu stuff like we saw in the uh, in the movie mm-hmm. uh but vic has that martial arts skills he was taught by what's his name richard, richard dragon. dragon dick dragon right no richard <laughs> dragon and so you know he's got the skills to kick somebody's butt and so that's why i went with the man in the blue trench coat nice rodrigo I, I'm I'm also gonna go with the question largely because of the uh, because of the portrayal in the JLU and it, it, at the JLU uh, had one of my favorite lines, which is um, in some of the later episodes, him and Huntress start kind of developing a romance, right? And you know, so they're 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 talking to each other just as part of their patrol, and at the end of it, Huntress is like, "So uh, what are you wearing?" And he's just like, "Trench coat, fedora, gloves." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and you know what's great is um, Jeffrey Coombs, I believe is his name. Jeffrey Coombs, He's yep. the one that plays the vo- that does the voice of the question. And if you don't know who Jeffrey Coombs is, uh, you well, may... Well, he was Wei Un from the last six seasons of Deep Space Nine. I was going to say that. Or he was also <laughs> the uh, the blue-eared aliens, the blue-intended aliens from the... Uh, Enterprise. Star Trek Enterprise. And you might know him in this little role that he played that made him famous, uh, Reanimator. Herbert West, re-animator. So that's who he is, and that's why I think he's cool. Now this, Matthew, this has been one of our closest polls that we have had in a long, long time. Uh, As of this recording session, we have 391 votes in, 51% voting for Rorschach, 49% voting for the question. Yeah, when I voted, the question was definitely on top. Yeah, so it's this is going to be interesting over the next Which week. Which would probably be the way a fight would go. <laughs> I actually just renewed, and I'm showing 393 votes, well, see, still 51 go. to 49. But, I mean, this one is a close fight. And I think part of the fascination is the fact that the question in the JLU obviously got some cues from Rorschach as yeah, he appeared definitely. in Watchmen. Right. Some of the things that, you know, came up were actually references on I inspired Rorschach and thus now I do this. 
to the point where they weren't really a part of the character before. The question originally was one of Steve Ditko's absolutist characters. Right. In, in one of his first appearances in Mysterious Suspense Number 1, he left a criminal to drown in a culvert because the criminal was there due to his own criminal actions. Yeah, very much like the original so, I mean, Batman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, the question, my first introduction to the question was in an issue of Blue Beetle where he was drawn by Paris Cullens. And Paris Cullens, I don't know if you know his work, no. did really cartoony big eyes. And his question was phenomenal because he had no eyes. And I was just like, <laughs> who is this character? Where can I find more comics with him? In and there? where are his eyeballs? <laughs> exactly. And then 20 years later, he died the end. Uh, uh-huh. Several of, you know, we, we may have to review 52 in the near future because... That is such a great oh, series. Do we have to? <laughs> yes. Do we have that kind of time? Isn't well, we may have like to spread that. Volumes? We'd have to spread that over like four different uh, episodes, I think, because it's four different volumes that you'd have to read. But it, uh, well, trust I, me, I, I this is not countdown. This is actually that. good, Rodrigo. All right. But it is DC, so I can understand. Matt Wood it's, over at the uh, website says Rorschach may f you up with his righteous fury, but the question was trained by Richard Dragon. You can't beat the kung fu. Plus, he has no face. Uh, Everybody was kung fu fighting. Let's see. Wintermute says Rorschach is pretty effing cool, but I'm partial to the question, as well as Renee Montoya, because of the 52 connection. Uh, Let's see. Mask, M-A-S-Q-U-E, or that would be Mosk? Mask. Mosque. There is no question here. Rorschach would lose in a fight. (laughs) Slappy says, as much as I want Rorschach to raise my children because I believe him to be a wonderful role model, the question would kick his ass. The question was trained by a great martial artist in a wheelchair. Rory is is a whatever... (laughs) (laughs) Slappy's posts are always like a joke from a five-year-old. They're hysterical, and they make perfect sense, but not till you get to the end. But here's the punchline. Rory is a whatever-gets-retard-strength kind of guy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so whatever goes retard straight kind of guy. There you go. <laughs> you never go full retard. <laughs> okay, here's never somebody. Never go full retard. Sean Penn went full retard. Nobody liked it. Campaigner says, I voted for Rorschach mainly because his character blew me away when I first read Watchmen, but the question's also a good character. He was one of my faves in the JLU, which admittedly everybody's saying that's the reason why. Uh, but I also liked him in Huntress Cry for Blood. It's interesting to see that Watchmen has become an inf- uh, so influential that the original Charlton characters are now often overshadowed and themselves influenced by the Watchmen characters. So Absolutely. there you go. If I you would like to point out Hitman Sam's comment, which is so self-referential that it took it. me to get it. Who wins? Mr. A. And who is Mr. A? Uh, if I have to explain it to you, you'll never be cool enough to know. Well, I'll tell you about it in an after-show bit sometime. all right. So if you would like to cast your vote and swing your favor to the question, all you have to do is head over to Majorspoilers.com. The poll is right there on the right side, just a little ways down from that Major Spoiler merchandise store. You'll see it because it's clearly labeled as With an S. And you'll see their pictures and you can vote. So please do that. Yes, bowl. Yes. Please do. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, now, Rodrigo is a big fan of Law and Order. He's a big what? I am. He's a big fan. I am a gigantic fan. <laughs> you know, if you attach a spatula no, I just have this to the image of him and... standing in my living room, just rotating back and forth. <laughs> yes. He is a Bringing giant. Us cool. Rodrigo is a giant fan of the Law and Order series. <laughs> Doink, doink. 
You like the Law and Order, don't you? I do. I'm a I'm a big fan. Do you like fan. the criminal intents? Do you like the SVUs? I, SVU is I think by far the superior uh the superior one. Although lately I feel that they've they've started to do something that has uh greatly detracted, which is that obviously after what, seven, eight years you oh, have you're to talking start like ten, fifteen years for Law and Order. Well, yeah, but I mean for specifically for uh special victims. Oh, okay. All right. Um you eventually have to start developing the characters, which I feel detracts from the show. Mm. Because the show, yep. what what always made the show so good was how incredibly procedural it was. Right. How very little the characters, I mean, you could see the characters' personalities coming through, but how very little their personal lives played right. into the thing. Right, right, um, and, and have you, did you, what was the, uh, what was the one set in Baltimore? Homicide. Homicide, Life on the Streets. Did I you, do you like that series? If I didn't you haven't see seen that Homicide, one. All I've seen, to. all I've seen from that one are the crossover episodes okay. with Law and Order, right? And of course, you know, in which Ice they Cube, fight uh, Bizarro Munch. Yeah, Ice T um, uh, moves over yeah. to to the uh, SVU unit. Yes. But if you are a fan of either of those shows, uh, Law and Order or SVU or Criminal Intent or um, uh, C- uh, CSI, no, not CSI because that's not really what this is. The, oh, the okay. Baltimore one, the uh, Homicide, Homicide, uh, the Life on the Streets. I think there was then, also Law and Order Electric Boogaloo. I yes. think I think you're going to really, really get a kick out of Gotham Central if you've never read it. Now, the point of Gotham Central is not a <laughs> Batman story, mm-hmm. right? This is, uh, you know, uh, DC did this series a couple of years ago. They did it twice called um, Gotham Knights, and it were stories about the people living in Gotham and how events that Batman would deal with or events that happening with criminals or whatever uh, would affect those people's lives. It was essentially a slice of life of life in the big city. Gotham Central is essentially homicide life on the streets where Batman plays a peripheral character. He's not the star. Instead, it is the people who are in the Gotham Central Police Department, more specifically the MCU, the major crime unit. Or the uh, the massive crime unit, or the meta crime unit, I think, as it's become mm-hmm. uh, lately. But uh, this is a class. This is a great detective series that follows the lives of these these police officers and the people that they try to apprehend. It's run. The head of the MCU is Maggie Sawyer, who many people may remember from uh, the, the Superman, Superman series books. because she was in Metropolis and she's been bumped up. Uh, to Gotham City to take over the MCU there. This series starts after No Man's Land. Mm -hmm. So this is a series that takes place after the earthquake days of Gotham. This is a series that in the beginning features a lot of new characters, but by the end of the first two issues, uh, we're introduced to uh, Rene Montoya, who people may be familiar with from the Batman animated series. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, wasn't this her, in- her introduction to the DC Universe I'm, proper? That's what I was thinking, too, but they kept making references to that she was partners with Harvey Bullock, and yet I don't ever remember seeing her in the Harvey Bullock stories. Right? Back before he got fired before No Man's Land. Mm-hmm. So right. I'm pretty sure this was her introduction into DCU proper, which was a pretty big deal because here again, Harley Quinn... Mm-hmm. was a character that they took from the Batman animated series and they brought into the comic books. Renee Montoya went the same route. She started in the animated series and moved over to the comic book. But instead of the sweet and sassy uh, little police rookie that she was in the animated series, she's a pretty hardcore detective in in this series. Uh, we also get introduced to Crispus Allen, who at this time 
is not that big of a deal as far as who, uh, what he is or, or what he does, but he is a big deal later as the series concludes and as we get into uh, Infinite Crisis and Countdown and all of the events later uh, when he turns into the Spectre. The Spectre. Hmm. So, it, you know, that's kind of some little background on, on what this series is about. This this first volume, and we're all looking at the hardbound volume, right? Uh, put out by DC Comics. Uh, the first volume is essentially three stories written by Greg Rucka and Ed Brubaker. Ed Brubaker and Rucka wrote the first two issues in this story called In the Line of Duty, which, as the title implies, is a story about an officer who loses his life and the rest of the team dealing with that. The second story is called Motive. That one's written solely by Ed Brubaker. And the last one is uh, called Half a Life, written by Greg Rucka. Um, the first story, it's a simple two-issue one. I like that. I like that in a series where you can get into just get, tell me a story, get in and get out. And this is one where there's a missing girl, and there's a tip that these two officers get that they may be holed up into this, uh, into this crappy hotel. And they go in and they knock on the door. Hey, police, uh, open up, open up. And it's not the person who's kidnapped the little girl, but instead it's Mr. Freeze who kills one of the people instantly, one of the officers instantly, and partially freezes uh, one of the main characters that we're going to follow through the rest of of the series. And believe me, I'm terrible with names and I don't remember it uh, here. Fields, I think, is his name. Yeah. The one who dies? No, no, no. The one that lives. Ah. Uh, the blonde-haired guy. Ba-ba-ba-ba. Driver? Detective Driver, Driver is his name. Okay. Detective Mark Driver. Driver, I believe. Yeah. He's the one that we're kind of going through this story. Now, what's interesting about this story, and what's interesting about telling a story from the viewpoint of the people who have to live and work in a city where Batman kicks ass at night, is that they are overshadowed by the Batman. And there's a lot of discussion in the book about how any time anybody on the MCU team can't solve a crime, their boss has a category for Batman, and they just slide that underneath his name on the big board to kind of demoralize or to attempt to get everybody in the MCU to uh, step up to the plate and do their job. Well, when this officer goes down, instead of just calling in Batman, instead of turning on the big signal, uh, the detective driver says, hey, let us take care of this, boss. And so then we get introduced to all of the other uh, characters in this series, all the other detectives. And I like how they just, you know, again, if you're a um, law and order person, I love how they go through all the whole interview process, how they go and shake people down, how they go in and and try to find out where Mr. Freeze is. And it's a great little story, all the way to the point where Driver figures out what Freeze is up to, and they do have to call in Batman at the last minute. Do, 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 do. It is... Dun, dun. Yeah. Uh, these stories have been drawn from the pages of real life. Yes. Names have been Ripped changed. from the headlines. Names have been changed. The to protect the of, innocent. People of Gotham City, 
have to abide by law and order. These are their stories. Chum chum. Chum chum. Chum chum. So anyway, I told them that chum, I, was, chum. Uh, I wasn't going to take it anymore. You know, I've been living in this uh, apartment for like six years and my pipes are always, oh my God, a dead body and it's frozen. Chum chum. <laughs> if this I mean, was that's law and order, that's how the book would have no, started. No, literally. It almost does start yeah, that way because you were dropped right into these two guys talking about how they don't, you know, this is more of a traditional law and order mm-hmm. where the two cops... Uh, uh, man, what's his name? Uh, Jerry or- Orway and um, Orbach. Orbach and who was on the first Chris season? Chris Noth. No, 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 not Chris Noth. The guy that was on the first season with Jerry Orbach is his partner. Um, the old dude. Yeah, not Abe Vigoda. Um, <laughs> uh, man, his daughter was, is pretty hot, blonde hair. She was in uh, Rory and Michelle's high school reunion or whatever it was. Paul Sorvino. Paul, Paul Sorvino. He was in that first season. With uh, Jerry Orbach, I could, seriously? Yes. Are you sure? No, I am dead serious. He has a heart attack, and then that's why um, Chris North North is or North or whatever his name is brought on board. Oh, yeah. It was things like Oath. after the first Death or second Oath. season. Uh, but I have a feeling that you could see those two having this conversation as they're going up to the the room. Knocking on the door, police. Yes, come in. Let them in, officers. Or if it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, because because that's who Mister Freeze is. Yeah. Allow them to come in, officers. Who is that? Oh, no. <laughs> Look out. Run. Uh, I like that story. You know, as a, just a two-issue story by itself, I like that issue a lot. It sets up the characters. It tells us who they are, why they yep. want to do their stuff without Batman's involvement, and what makes them good cops. It really has some dramatic story beats, too. The moment where where he comes forward and says, Look, Cap. Don't use the signal. And the whole squad room is there because one of their own has died. I love that moment where, they, where you know, I, I don't remember if it was Maggie or if it was somebody else who agreed, we're not going to use the signal now. We're going right. to let you guys try and bring it in. Right. It was a really powerful moment. Right. Um, the second story is called Motive. And again, if you're going to find out who killed somebody, this kind of follows from the first story about the missing girl and driver and um, and another officer's uh, partner teams up. The two of them team up together to try to attack to not only find out who's killed this little girl, but why um, Firebug Mothman is back mm-hmm. in town. The Firebug is uh, uh, Romy something, isn't it? Yeah, D- Detective Romy something. I know we're terrible with names. We are terrible. She's a redhead girl, attractive detective Lieutenant, on the team. Lieutenant redhead girl. Romy. Teams yeah, it's Romy. With, with uh, Sergeant Blonde Facehead Guy. Now, here's the thing. Now, You're correct, on my short list, Blonde Facehead. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Trope Dude. <laughs> trope Dude. In I, every... I, this, I swear this happens every single, every single time. If you want to figure out who's the bad guy mm-hmm. in all the, the CSI shows... It's always the first person that they interview. Um, and that I, seems to be a pretty no. big. I'll, trope. I'll tell you what: in a in a in Law and Order, the 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 person who did it is always the guest star. <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh, so it's like, oh, Martin Short did <laughs> this in one. Special victims he, unit. Yeah, he killed him. Martin Short did Blue it. Diamond Phillips appears. Stephen Colbert did it. But he did it. But you know, in this one, the two are tasked to go back and kind of look into this investigation some more mm-hmm. from the local perspective. And the first thing they do is they go to the house where um, 
the girl was being babysat and, and they're listening to that story and, and filling up on that jive. And then they have to go and track down all the other stuff. So this is, oh, we heard she's having trouble with these two boys at the high school. Oh, we heard that uh, this homeless man in the park was doing this. Oh, we heard this. And they have to follow up on all these things all the while the firebug is setting buildings on fire throughout Gotham. So there's another team of detectives who are on that case. And so the point of motive is really what is the motive behind these people's crimes or, you know, what what's going on? And again, Matthew, like you said with the first one, I thought this was very paced out, paced out perfectly to the big yeah. reveal of who did it. I like the human touches. One of the things that the boys uh, did it. One of the uh, moments that I really liked is when the two teenage boys are being run down. Yes. They think the cops are after them because they stole a boomerang no, not a, a batarang, yeah. They stole a batarang that the missing girl had. And I love the way that it takes that whole Batman thing and the, you know, the little moment of we see in every issue, Batman flings five batarangs and sticks the crook to the wall. This one of them is mentioning how much you can get for that on eBay. It puts it in a very human I'm, I'm, perspective. I'm sorry, G-Bay. G-Bay. We don't uh, DC did not want to get sued by PayPal. <laughs> Blah blah blah. <laughs> does that blah. bother in you? Does does that bother you when they blatantly do that, where they try to say, "Oh yes, in this world, it would be called GBay," but we're tipping our hat to eBay. It's a. It's. A, I would rather see GBay than product placement. Okay. Uh, it's a. It's because a, product placement, <laughs> it, even if it's something that's completely, you know, oh look, there's a Coke can in the foreground. Right. People start whining about product placement, and I hate it when idiots watch television and go, I wonder how much Coke paid to have that can there. I'm like, nobody paid for anything. The set designer left it there, and he's getting in trouble right now from the director, so shut up. It's or, a, But that's just me. It's a pretty here? classic thing. Um, you know, they've there, there's this old-school way of approaching things of not – you know, not mentioning actual products, kind of making up your own product like soda cola or right, whatever. Right, right. Or, so, or referencing yeah. there was a moment where you see a box of donuts. It's a Dunkin' Donuts logo and font. Right. But it says Gotham Donuts. Right. 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 So, so it's recognizable. And if you're not paying attention, you don't even realize it's not a Dunkin' Donuts logo. Right. So those kinds of things don't bother you. I think it makes it it calls it out even more to me. Oh, G-Bay. Oh, I see what they did there. Uh, eBay, They're G-bay. hanging a lantern on it. They're making yeah. a point here that, yes, this is something where we're not going to say eBay. We can't say eBay without giving PayPal $300,000. But we're going to make sure that this is something that we go, oh, yeah, your mind makes the jump. Right. And if you're really tied into the story like I was, I didn't realize it was G-Bay. My mind yeah, read that eBay. as eBay. Right. But what I find fascinating is... And again, I, and I know this sounds weird. I would love to live for a week in the DC world. You know, if there were heroes <laughs> flying around and all this stuff, I wouldn't live in Gotham City. We talked about that before in one of our early, early, early podcasts. But I just find it fascinating that here is a major villain at one time who's able to sell his suit on G-Bay for lots of money because it was the suit he wore when he fought Batman one time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the fact that those kinds of things exist. I mean, that's just, it's weird. It's fascinating what? and weird at the same time. And it actually makes, I think, the the world seem that much more real. Todd McFarlane paid $3 million for the bustier that Madonna wore in the Like a Prayer video. So is it that strange? I mean, is it that much stranger to buy 
a costume that some schmuck fought Batman with than it is to buy underwear off no, of the No, no, I'm just saying it's making the world that much more real, the DC world yeah. that much more real. And the fact it definitely that- adds verisimilitude to the stories. I really like how having Batman and, by extension, the Justice League and Superman and the Green Lantern Corps and Mogo and all of the things that are implied by the existence of Batman doesn't undermine the drama of two regular guys trying to solve the murder of a 14-year-old right. kid. I also like that the violence, at least, is realistic in this book where the firebug tries to set... Uh, you know, the stereotypical black detective on fire, and he doesn't just burn to death. It's just his coat that's You're on fire. You're on my shortlist, stereotypical black detective. <laughs> well, he almost <laughs> comes off like that. I half expected him at one point to say, oh, my God, I can't believe this is my last week before retirement kind of thing. I'm getting too old for this. <laughs> He'll be played by Reginald Vell Johnson in the movie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, he almost guy. is probably, ba- you know, he almost looks a lot like him. Uh, he reminds me of John Amos from Good Times, and I kept hearing his, his voice as... J.J. As... quit it. <laughs> Junior! Montoya, quit it. So, um, you know, the, the two new detective partners eventually crack the case and find out that it was indeed the... Uh, butler. No, the butler done it. It was the husband of the, uh, of the kid that was being babysat. He's the one that did it, because he's... Not only is he the one that killed her... He's also the firebug because what happened was the girl that was missing turns up dead. Uh, he killed her because he found out that she was snooping through the closets while she was babysitting, uncovered his firebug costume, and he didn't want anybody to find out about it, so he killed her. And that's, that's... kind of a nice little cover. Of, you know, that's again, go back to Special Victims Unit, go back to CSI, all these things. They make perfect sense. You use one crime. To cover up another crime. You can hear Gil Grissom saying something pithy. Yes. Do you miss, when we talk, I mean, we're talking a lot about these other detective shows. Do you miss the crime lab aspect of this in Gotham Central? I don't, but I think it's because CSI is not necessarily about the crime lab. It's about the fact that the crime lab is populated by a bunch of weirdos right. mm-hmm. who have to make the leaps of judgment or leaps of, of, of intuit, intuit, intuition, however that's pronounced, based on the evidence they have. What I find I really miss as a fan of Law & Order is characters played by people who were murderers in the television show Oz. <laughs> because I've every Law & Order franchise <laughs> has to have a main character who killed somebody in the Oswald State Penitentiary. Yeah. There's Shirley Bellinger, of course, on, on, on Criminal Intent, and Chris Keller on Special Victims, and the other guy on The Other Thing, and then there's the one guy with The Thing and The Thing. Okay, so you don't miss the crime lab part of it, because I kind of wish some I, of that would be brought back, would have been brought in to this series initially. I can see why they don't do it. Oh, I, I do too, because that would totally add a whole new layer of people well, involved it would, into it but i mean whenever it also kind of begs the question i mean wasn't gotham partially rebuilt by superheroes and aliens after the uh cataclysm and mm-hmm. uh was it or was it dealing... just a whole lex Luthor, bruce wayne kind of battle and they told the supers to stay out i don't remember Neither do I, 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 so I know metropolis ago. was uh yeah. rebuilt by, by nanites at by, some point so yeah. the police department there's going to be really advanced yeah yeah, and you have to think, you know, how realistic can this crime lab be if we have to take into account a world that has 
Thanagarian and Martian right. and Amazonian technology. And, you know, even the right. stuff that Bruce Wayne does, my invisible you can tell pipette. he doesn't have superpowers, <laughs> but he does. Well, but that's... Bruce Wayne's stuff is not normal tech. But so, that's, that's kind of the point of this series is that they are trying to steer clear of the superheroes altogether. It almost reads like Powers. Yeah. Uh, the, to the some first... degree, but I think even Powers, yeah, of course, the guy has the moments where we have the, you know, I think Powers came later, didn't it? I, again, I can't remember. I'm almost certain that they probably came out around the same time. To the Powers way. had super technology. Powers has the green room with the power sapping stuff, True. and they have special, they have special technology for dealing with supers. I think to bring that level would actually take away some of the realism mm -hmm. that I really like about these cops. And I mean, especially in that second story where, you know, Renee is dealing with what Renee is dealing. And we haven't gotten there the yet. The third story, you mean? The third yeah. story, forgive okay. me. Sorry. Where we're dealing with, you know, the, the aspects of Renee is framed for murder. Right. We're not sure why. We're sure she's framed. And she's also publicly outed as a homosexual. Yeah, and that is like, to do that... Would at the time, I remember that being very shocking. It's definitely one of those moments that will stick with you. I did not realize, because again, all of my Rene Montoya before 52 was, you know, the cartoon. Right. Rene Montoya. And also your pitch from college where you decided that Rene Montoya should be killed and her fiance could become a new Dark Knight for Gotham. <laughs> that was, it was a bad, bad idea. And to, way, but Steve. you know what? Batwoman's running around now. So there you go. There you go. See, you were ahead of your time and the wrong gender, <laughs> which is kind of the story of your life. Ah, uh, <laughs> man. He's being he has a... just been hammering away. He's just being a little bitch tonight, isn't he? <laughs> I'm just, I'm in a mean mood. So man, what, do you, my... what do you think of the whole concept of taking a character that, again, in the animated series is just this wholesome, you know, cop, you know, growing up and going through her routine, and then we suddenly make a reveal that, uh, she's gay. Not that, you know, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with it, not, but it really changes the whole dynamic of what people that thought anything of. there's wrong with that. Not, you know, I mean, it kind of changes the dynamic of how people view the Renee character. Mm -hmm. Obviously, her fellow officers, when the photo is posted of her making out with another woman, mm -hmm. when the, her fellow officers find out about it, there's a lot of ridicule that she has to go through. Mm -hmm. But likewise, yeah. the readers are going through that same, I don't know, problem uh same discovery well, thing the, i think the readers have to process it in their own way i liked it no i did too I'll, I'll tell you why i liked it is maggie sawyer was openly gay in metropolis right and there's a beautiful moment where maggie calls renee into her office and montoya thinks she's there to talk about being a murder suspect and maggie is like no we're talking about the other thing once you open that closet door it stays open right and it's a very interesting moment to see Maggie trying to help this woman to through, you know, what's a pretty life-changing moment. Right. And having it, you know, and having Renee be so sidetracked by herself and her stuff, right. so, which actually becomes a theme for her, that, you know, she doesn't get that someone's trying to help her. I felt that it worked yeah. because the character... It, it 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 was it was not the center of her being. It's not a young lesbian right, who happens to, to be a Gotham City right. cop. It's a Gotham City cop who is gay. Right, and you know what this story is? Renee is being sued by a guy that she arrested once for rape, uh, who mm -hmm. got off on the charge and now wants to kind of make her life miserable. So he's suing her, and to do that, right. 
he starts having uh, this private investigator follow her around to f- dig up dirt on her, and that's where he discovers that she's gay, mm-hmm. uh, lesbian, and has a lover. And uh, the private eye turns up dead, and Renee has a shouting match with the scumbag who she arrested and who's suing her uh, in front of her girlfriend's apartment and says, I'll kill you if you come near her again. And sure enough, later that night, that guy turns up dead. Mm. Renee's backup weapon is missing. And there is a half a kilo of cocaine or heroin or something found in her apartment that was part a uh, half of a kilo f- that was found at the victim's apartment. Mm-hmm. So the cops, the internal investigation people, automatically are just saying, oh, it's her. She's the, she's the person behind this. She's the person behind this. And... While it's a very cool story to see Renee go through things because her brother knows that she's gay, mm-hmm. her parents do not know that she is gay, and mm-hmm. whoever's behind this whole setup sent that same photo not only to the police department where they tacked it up on the wall, but also sent it to her parents who have a conniption fit because they're a very traditional Catholic mm-hmm. Hispanic family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the mother says she's going to burn in hell and disowns her. Her father won't refuses to talk to her. Her brother's okay with it because he's been he's known this for about 15 years. Uh, but I think the real interesting aspect of this is how partners come together in this story. Because mm-hmm. Crispus Allen is like, hey, why didn't you tell me? And she's like, well, would it have made any difference? You know, I used to be Harvey Bullock's partner. Uh, imagine what would have happened if I told him, you know, please forgive me for not telling you. And he's like, hey, perfectly understandable. What he's really sit there for is to help her. And so he and his new rookie that he's breaking in spend the rest of the issue trying to track down who is framing uh, Renee. And she says, and I, and it's really, this is the one problem that I have with the motive story and the problem that I have with this third story in that they make these connections you know, from one panel to another, it's really hard to kind of follow the trail of evidence. All of a sudden, Renee's like, "Oh, Harvey Bull or um, Two Face uh, Harvey Dent is behind this. He's the one that's doing this to me." Doesn't say how she knows this. Doesn't say why she knows this. There's no indication that Harvey Dent is behind this at all until Harvey Dent kidnaps her and and says, "Oh, I've done this all for us so we could be together forever because I love you because you used to visit me in Arkham Asylum." You're the only one who understood me, Renee. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a weird jump. Mm-hmm. It's I, I think part of that is less a problem with the narrative and more a stylization thing in the art. Michael Lark does some really interesting things with the art. But oh man, I want to talk about a, the art. It's kind of it's kind of a chiaroscuro effect where he's got you know thick outlines yeah. and deep blacks and you know it's 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 more stylized, more what's the word I'm looking for? Impressionistic. Mm-hmm. Than it is representational, yeah. and that works to some degree. But in case you know, in some cases, it has a tendency to give that Sherlock Holmes effect, where he talks about a clue fifty pages ago that only he saw that the narrator never told us about. Right, right, and that's kind of what I get in this uh, bit. I mean, it still plays out well, and that's what I like. How even though Batman takes a very big backseat, far backseat from the drivers uh, of this story. Uh, he's still there and is still present, but it's the villains who these cops have to deal with the, uh, to the one point where, you know, it's Batman who brought these crazies to the city. And now we have to deal with his mess. I, I just find that whole aspect very fascinating and interesting from, you know, not from a Batman superhero perspective, but from the normal everyday citizen of Gotham perspective. 
Mm-hmm. And that's why I think Gotham City was really such a great series through its entire run. Uh, the art by Michael Lark you were mentioning. Just love it. It just reminds me a lot of stuff you might have found. Um, I don't know. It's got a kind of a 50s, 60s vibe to it. A noir mm-hmm. 50s, 60s vibe to it. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of, um, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, used Bob. to draw Starman. It was, it's Pete S E N E J B J E R G, and I always pronounce it in my head Snebjerg or Snedjberg. But he has, I mean, it's it's very Bjork. sharp edges and dark blacks, yeah. and it really really works, especially you know for the night shift stories yeah. where you know Everything it's supposed to be, yeah, it's supposed to be the dark side of Gotham. I just the, you know, I picked up these in the single issues. Originally, I know I did. They're in my they're in my collection. Oh, that's that's my line. But <laughs> my goodness, I just forgot how good the art was. Rodrigo, what are your thoughts on this? You're kind of a, a an art snob. <laughs> oh man! So now you're taking it, it out on just, me. No, no, no! Like you're very shot. you are very well. Pe- you know, Dad kicks the dog, and yeah. the dog bites. You're, the you're kid very particular and... about your art style that you like. I am, and I and I do like this. Uh, and in particular, one thing that I thought was interesting. I mean, I, I'm. I, it's it's not something I loved, but I, I thought it was a, a strong decision. Is if you if you look at everything in the book, there's very sharp lines. Everything's very defined. Right. If you look at Two Face. The division between his two faces is mm-hmm. completely color. It's not right. an actual line, and the faces are very similar. He he is not that disfigured in this, whereas in you know other mm-hmm. books he is just like dressed. I mean, it's obvious. Yeah, like, like his other when, faces uh, like purple. Yeah, or something like that. Here's like a very light green, mm-hmm. and given the choices of lighting in a lot of things, I mean, it could just be the light. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of, a lot of times, so I thought that was an, an interesting thing. It it kind of plays on on. Especially in that last scene where he kind of like Snaps. jumps back and yeah. forward. Uh, that was kind of creepy. Harvey's not here. It's me. Exactly. It's you know, like, kind of at w- when are you talking to Harvey? When are you talking to Two Face? This is the this is him saying. It's like, yeah, there's Harvey and there's Two Face, but they're not that separate from each other. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of this uh, mm-hmm. entity that is both of them at the same time. There's, only there's no one, real yeah. Terminator between the faces. Yeah. Exactly. So that's, that's one really thing that I really like. Uh, I'm sorry. One of the <laughs> the bits of the art that sticks out to me is every time you see Crispus, yeah, Crispus is wearing a well-pressed suit with his butt shirt buttoned, his tie up. It's obviously an expensive, well-done designer cut suit, and the other guys are dressing off the rack, and that's obvious. Yeah, and you can look at things like you know Renee always wearing a t-shirt and a jacket, right? You know the characters have a personality based on their dress, based on their style. Michael Lark draws characters who look perfectly at home in a shirt and tie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not just some comic artists can't draw people in clothes. Yeah. Right. I'm not mentioning any names called Alex Ross, but everybody has, you know, basically a variation of a superhero costume, even when they're in their street clothes. And here that's not the case. I really like, I like the decisions made with Renee's hair and makeup where it looks like most of the time she doesn't wear any makeup, she sticks her hair in a ponytail and she goes or mm-hmm. you know it's 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 nicely done. These are characters who have different personalities and you know different things that they do in terms of their body language and the way they stand. If it's, the cover of the cover of the trade paperback is right next to me. Mm-hmm. 
you can look at the five characters on the cover and you can read based on their body language who does what. Yeah. You uh, you know the Go ahead. No, I mean it, it, it's Chris has his arms crossed and he's giving you this look like what the f is wrong with you. And then Renee's just kind of standing off to the side with a look like I'd rather be somewhere else. It's it's really well done personality stuff. Right. And that goes back to what I was saying about um homicide. Do you remember the black guy that what uh I forget what his name was on homicide? Fancy. What's his name? I believe his name was Officer or Detective Fancy, wasn't Maybe it? Maybe that's what it was. He's kind of the Crispus Allen character where he's he was always dressing in the expensive suits and had a very specific air about him. Um I can't even remember who who that who that actor was. Andre Brown yes. is the actor's yes. name. That's who I always picture in this Crispin Allen role. Pembleton. I, yeah, Pembleton. I'm sorry. Years even years later when he was going through the whole Spectre shift and getting killed in the line of duty. I uh, hate to ruin that for you, Rodrigo, but uh, that's what happens to it. Uh, that's who I always Russell. imagined <laughs> in in that role. So it's it's interesting that we can take these crime television series and bring it to a comic book. Rodrigo, did you have a favorite story in the three? Um, I, I really like the, the whole uh, stray batarang just bit. So I, I think that, that really kind of cleans it for me. But the, Renee... Renee's story at the end where, um, you know, after all she's gone through, after all she's gone through, right. her family still turns her their back on right. her because of her lifestyle. Uh, it just, uh, it, it was really well written. It didn't seem like the author was like hitting me over the head being like, you know, gay people are bad or gay people are good even. I mean, it's, it's, right, a, it's right. a story. It, it was a nice, solid story that incorporated... Yeah. What was going on? The characters' emotions. Um, that might have been the first one, but I really like the whole straight battery yeah. thing. I yeah. my favorite was the first story in the line of duty with uh, with Mister Freeze. Mm-hmm. Matthew, I have to say that I like the first half of Renee's story and the second half of Motive. Mm-hmm. So I don't really have a, a a favorite, except in as much as I liked portions of all of them. I like the moment where. You know, the, it, it, granted, he had to die at the beginning because it set up what we were doing. But the po- right. the place where the cop runs in, Mister Freeze shoots him with the gun, and later he ends up, you know, smashed on the ground and frozen. And people are dealing with this and going, "This is an actual corpse." Right. Yeah. Something that's often missing from comics is, you know, the treatment of a character, especially a character who died, or you know, a side well, character, or. You know, going as as an actual person. Yeah, going back to that, it's really interesting because as we talk side characters, and even though in a sense the guy that dies at the beginning, he's a throwaway character, we get to see his wife who actually works in the morgue, and she's going down to see her husband's body, and they're like, you know, you don't have to do this, and she's like, look, I've seen a lot of dead bodies, uh, let's just get this over with, and they take her into the freezer where the guy's literally melting, and then she has a breakdown, and I'm like, wow, that's really kind of a cool bit to write for a character who's really not even that important to the series. Mm-hmm. All the characters are the the star of their own story. Right. And any one of those characters, just like Homicide or just like, you know, Law and Order, any one of those characters could take the forefront. You never know where it's going to be a Munch episode necessarily. Right. And right. there aren't enough So I, I like that. Right. Um, this is a 10-issue series. Uh, Greg Rucka, uh, 
Ed Brubaker. Or a 10-issue collection yeah. of a longer yeah, yeah. series. Of a much longer series. Uh, I wanted to quickly go through just a couple of the comments that readers had written. Lisa Glitch wrote up on the site, One of my favorite series to date, and right up there with Watchmen and Why the Last Man, Gotham Central delivers believable characters and great stories in a really interesting format. Uh, let's see. Da-da-da-da. He says that this is better than most, and it feels like it's a noir novel rather than law and order at times, while obviously still being a comic-esque type story. I'm also interested in seeing Gotham superheroes and supervillains from a new and interesting angle. In conclusion, Gotham Central is a series uh, using the well-known everyman's point of view element, which I love, but with the addition of genuinely great, nay, brilliant art, storytelling, characterization, and setting. And Gotham City Police Department, I mean, can you think of a better concept? I love Batman, police procedural shows, I love crime fiction, I love noir, I love Brubaker, and I love this series and all of its characters. Now, there was talk at one point that uh, they were going to take, that CW was interested in taking the Gotham Central story and turning it into a television series. Mm-hmm. Would you watch that that show? Or would it just be another crime show mixed in with the CSIs and the Law and Orders and the Bones and the Twenty Fours and all of that? My, and the castles and the, my the thing. My concern with that would be that the reason why this book is interesting mm-hmm. is because it's a comic book, which is usually where you see superheroes, and right. instead you are seeing a police procedural set in superhero world. Right. In order to stand out from the crowd, mm-hmm. a a Gotham Central TV show would have to have a lot of Batman or a lot of supernatural crime right? that then these guys would, would have to solve. And I don't think it would be the same thing. It would ha- They would have to change it to supernatural investigation rather than a cop show where the cops are armed with freeze guns instead of you know yeah. regular guns. Yeah. And I think, I mean, a point can be made based on our previous references. If you remember the X-Men Envy podcast. Right. Where we said that Heroes is successful and people are like, oh, look how original, look how original. And mm-hmm. we, being familiar with the tropes of comics, we look at it and go, no, that's X-Men 142, that's X-Men 274, that's Justice League number 161 through 163. That story works on television because most of the television audience isn't going to see mm-hmm a take on these comic book themes every single month. Whereas with a Gotham Central TV show, it might just become yet another TV procedural. Yeah. Just as like a hero's comic book, for all intents and purposes, is just another comic book. Yeah. Julian says, this was the book that made me first take notice of Brubaker in, in the comics industry. It doesn't feel like a superhero comic book. It reads more like burn notice with law and order and some superheroes thrown in the mix. The fact that this book struggled to gain an audience in the floppy release really surprises me, but the fact that sales began to pick up soon after the trade was sent out proves what impact the trade paperback can have on the industry's buyer. Overall, Gotham City, truly excellent Batman comic and worthy introduction to Brubaker for people that want to get the feel for his writing style before they dive into Captain America. (laughs) (laughs) And that is a dive. Yeah. Um, Indeed. I gotta tell you, if Pick up this volume. Pick up this first volume and read it. I, I believe it's in the paperback form, but we've got the hardback version. It sits nicely on the shelf. It looks pretty. Uh, add it to your collection. I highly recommend it. Um, I liked it, and that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Matthew. <laughs> Matthew, Matthew, Matthew. 
I am neither a Batman fan nor a giant noir fan. So I was a little bit surprised at how much I liked this issue and how effective moments were. Such as the moment on the on the rooftop where one of the cops comes up and lights the signal yeah. solely to tell Batman, we didn't need you. Yeah, and then Batman says, don't ever touch that light again. Nice. But the moment we're through. That, we're done. We are done with you. I'm sorry. This this beautiful moment right before that where Batman, he looks at me, he's like, what do you got to say about that, Mr. Batman? We did your job for you. And Batman's like, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Just, I mean, I love that characterization. I love the way he's larger than life. And they don't have to hit us over the head with, look how normal Batman is, why he takes a leap just like the rest of us. No, he's a superhero. Shut up. Yeah. I do like how he's a superhero. And in this setting, even just being a guy in a funny leotard makes him stand out and makes him unique and awesome. Yeah. Well, even how he's drawn is so much different. I mean, he... Almost, I want to say, goes back to the um, Silver Age uh, book, the New Frontier book. He's almost drawn in that kind of style and feel. It would where actually you... go forward because the Silver Age book right. came later. But uh, but I mean, he's kind of drawn in that in that kind of style that you can tell he's just a guy in spandex. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's uh, that is uh, Gotham Central from DC Comics, our <laughs> trade of this week. Thank you so much, everybody. I think that uh, does it for this week on the show as well. If you have any questions or comments, you know where to get a hold of us. Listen to the little plug at the end here in a moment. Um, Plugola. Next week, what are we doing? Oh, next week, we're looking at the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, or Extraordinary Gentlemen, depending on... Extraordinary. 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 (laughs) League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. That's right. That will be next week on the Major Spoilers podcast because we, again trip back. Oh, we know sorry. that you love comics, and we do too, and we will see you next time. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Think about a better way If I was hulking green or gray I could just bust through that brick wall Take their comic books away But then the little meat would deal With all the tanks and bombs and guns Have you ever tried to read a series With all that going on Guess I need to rethink this plan How would I back and board my comics With such huge hands Guess I already told ya What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah what a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. If I'm Stark Raven, it's like a man of iron. I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. 
being shot up in a fine me in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler! What a major spoiler! Yeah, yeah, yeah! What a major spoiler! Whoa, 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 whoa! What a major spoiler! Hey guys, my name is Ed, and I've been listening to your podcast uh, since the beginning. Excuse me. Um, I'm an old guy like you guys. Uh, I've been reading comics. I guess my first comics were Shogun Warriors back in the late 70s. Um, I continued reading all through the 80s, read the original Secret Wars, original Crisis. You know, I was there, man. And then uh, in the 90s, after college, didn't have a lot of money, kind of moved away, but um, a few years ago, five years ago, I had a uh, son, and on the weekends, you know, I would, you know, I'd take him out of my wife's hair for a while, and then we would go out, and we would walk around, and in our route, there was a comic book shop, so, um, you know, I started going in there, and this is in, this is in um, you guys were talking about how to introduce kids to it. What I would do is, you know, he was still in the stroller. We'd go in. I'd be looking at the books. They had posters, toys up. You know, he'd start asking me, who's that, Daddy? Who's that? You know, he started getting, so I'd be like, you know, telling him all the characters. And as he's gotten bigger, we moved to a different comic book shop, and they've been so great. Um, you know, he, they, let, they have a big bin of toys that are cheap. He sits there and plays. He knows all the characters. Um and, you know, they think it's great because, you know, how many five-year-old favorite, um, you know, superheroes at any given time are Aztec in the question? You know, they just, you know, they find it awesome. And um, so, you know, as he's got, you know, I start getting in some of the D.C., Johnny D.C. line, you know, going and getting back then issues so that you can see it, um, checking out books at the library, so... That's how I've introduced him to it. And, you know, of course, the, um, the Justice League Unlimited DVDs. So, you know, I think that while he's not old enough to read, I read him the stories. Um, and that way you can edit out some of the language or, you know, some of the issues, you know, some of the things that you don't really want to say. And, uh, you know, he enjoys it, so, And hopefully he'll keep the love of comics. So, appreciate the podcast. I um, think everything, I really enjoy it. Um, I've been on a long business trip, so I've saved up a whole bunch of issues, episodes to listen to, and um, I was laughing out loud when you were talking about the smirks versus the snort. Keep it up. Um, like I said, I listen every week, um, look at the website all the time, and I do vote in the polls. So, um, thanks, and keep up the good work. Bye. Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2009.